Hey friends, this episode of the Fellow on Call is not meant to be used for medical advice and is intended for educational purposes only. Patient information has been modified to ensure privacy. The views expressed in this episode do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of the Fellow on Call, the Hemong podcast. We're coming at you from Rilly University Medical Center. I'm Ronak. I'm Vivek. And I'm Dan. And in today's episode, we have another one of our benign heme micro series going on. Last time we talked all about leukocytosis, and this time we're going to dive into the highlights about transfusion medicine. And honestly, guys, while we were putting this episode together, we realized you get a lot of questions about this in your banks, which means you're going to get a lot of questions about this on your real board exams and also in real life. And so we try to gather all the relevant information that you need to know to be successful for the exams and also for you know your first patient interaction that may have one of these issues. Super important topic, as we always say. I mean, I feel like that's what I say every time, so I should probably say something different. But this one, honestly, anybody in medicine, whether you're an anesthesiologist, a surgeon, a general medicine resident, a hemoc doctor, GI, we all deal with blood products. And it's really important to know a little bit about how the type and screen worked, what cross-matching is, and what exactly is plasma, that difficult thing to understand, plasma. All right, guys. Well, then, without further ado, let's roll that show. All right, guys. How are we doing this week? Not bad. I got a confession. Logan and I finally broke down, and we watched the first episode of that HBO Max Scooby-Doo reboot. I guess my takeaway is it's occasionally funny and it just has like, it is rife with Tumblr level cringe. I'm not going to be watching the second episode. Is this a uh, live action Scooby-Doo? I wish. It might actually have been less horrible. It's um, one of the characters from The Office, Mindy Kaling, is Velma and it's essentially an origin story for the gang. Hmm. It tries really hard to be cool and it does not succeed as most people who try really hard to be cool do not. I like my childhood memories of Scooby-Doo quite immensely. And so I think I'm just going to stick to those and take your word for it on this one. Yeah, we went back and watched just a regular like 1970s or whatever episode of Scooby-Doo afterwards. And we're like, yeah, this is better. And just watch other Mindy Kaling stuff. She's truly incredible. She has so many really good shows out there. So The Office, for example. Yeah. Yeah. The Office, Sex Lives of College Girls. Really, really good. I've not seen. Never Have I Ever. Another great one. Yeah, Mindy Kaling, she's legit, but... She's legit. You know, every once in a while, you don't hit the home run. Try it out. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. That's true. It is Dan. I don't know. (laughs) We'll have to check this one out. (laughs) Well, guys, so that Dan can get back to watching the original Scooby-Doo, we should get on with our show uh, for today. You guys, something that I keep on seeing over and over again in the question banks for studying purposes is questions about transfusion medicine and, you know, understanding implications about cross-matching and blood groups and even thinking back to residency. I mean, the first time someone was like, you need a type in screen, I'm like, I don't know what that is. I eventually sort of learned what that was, but I truly learned what that was once I got to fellowship. And it's not completely straightforward. So I thought it may, might be a good opportunity for us to inform our listeners about how to go about and understand and approach the language of transfusion medicine. What do you think? I think this is a fantastic idea. And every time I'm on benign heme consults and I have residents on, I go through these concepts and they're like, wow, 
that's what a type and screen is. That's what a quote unquote type and cross is. So I'm going to start off with a case for us to kick this off. Let's say we have a 25 year old female with sickle cell disease who comes in and she is having a vasoocclusive pain crisis. And another thing that we found was that her hemoglobin was at six from her baseline hemoglobin of eight. And she was symptomatic. She was having a little bit of subjective dyspnea and some fatigue. So we wanted to give her a unit of blood. Before we can give that blood, the first thing that we always know to get is a type and screen. Some people always talk about quote unquote type and cross. So let's talk about that. What exactly is a type and screen? Yeah. And, you know, I think the first thing it just makes rational sense to talk about is what a blood type is, because the type and screen is referring to looking at the red cell blood type. And classically, we think about the major antigens first. It's not the only reason we call them the major antigens, but they earn their name. And so this is the sort of ABO blood type or blood group. And it's a little bit confusing because that terminology is kind of how we talk about somebody's blood type. You know, are you type A, AB, B, or O? But the O is actually that phenotype. The antigen is called the H antigen. Not super important. But essentially, these are chains of sugars that are stuck to glycoproteins on the red cell surface. And these major antigens, A and B, are antigens that people who don't possess that marker on their blood cell are going to produce a constitutive IgM to. They make an antibody to it no matter what, even if they haven't been exposed to it. And for that reason, it's obviously a really big deal if somebody does get exposed to that blood because they already have antibodies in circulation that are going to react with it. The minor antigens, there's a large, large number of them. Some of the major ones are the RH group. That's the plus or minus is whether or not the RH antigen is, is present. I think the RH comes from rhesus monkey. I think that's where we first found it. I'll have to double check that. And then, of course, there's some other big groups out there, the Duffy antigen group, the Kel, the Kid, and a few others. There's the lowercase i, capital I, lowercase e, capital E, these are all different of the minor antigen groups. And Dan, you know, one of the things that I think is really important that I didn't understand for a long time, we have more antigens on the surface of the red blood cell. Other than this A antigen and B antigen, we also have these minor antigens. And we can form an antibody against the major groups, which, like you said, are constitutively done. If you have A blood, you're going to make B antibody. If you have B blood, you're going to make A antibody. And if you have O blood, you're going to make A and B antibody no matter what. But the more we get exposed to these minor antigens from other people's blood, eventually we may make an antibody to them. And that's the whole point of this important antibody screen, in addition to also figuring out what our blood type is. So let's say in this patient, we got the blood typing back, and it said that this patient had B positive blood. And the antibody screen said positive. And now what are you going to do? Do we give this patient blood? What exactly does that mean? How did they even get the blood type to begin with? That's a great question. And this is where that type in screen, that phrase that we learn as interns is so important. And I really had to break this down to try to understand what that phrase really means or where it even comes from. So the first part of that, the type part. So you are trying to say what type of blood group does the patient have? That's what you're trying to elucidate with this type in screen, that first portion of that. So they're saying you're trying to understand their ABO status and then their RH status as Dan alluded to. And 
for obvious reasons, the major implications there are that you want to make sure that the blood that they're going to be getting is compatible with what their phenotype actually is. So there is both a forward type and a reverse type that we have to do whenever we're trying to understand someone's ABO status. And basically, all this is is a Coombs test. And I think we've talked about Coombs test before. I'm sure our listeners have experienced Coombs test before. But basically, that's the fundamental concept behind a forward and reverse typing. So in forward typing, you are trying to say, if you have the patient's blood type, but you don't know what antigens they express, how do you figure this out? And so the way that they do this is that they mix a patient's red blood cells one at a time with anti-A or anti-B antibodies that are commercially available. And if there's a reaction, which means that you'll see agglutination, then you know that the antigen is present on the red blood cell surface. And so based on that pattern of agglutination, you can tell what their ABO status is. So for example, if the patient's red blood cells react with anti-A, but not with anti-B antibodies, then you know that their ABO type is likely going to be a type A. Yeah, Ronak, that's huge. So basically what we're saying is this is the DAT test. This is the Coombs test, the direct anti-globulin test, meaning we're directly looking at what is on that red cell. Take the patient's red blood cells, add known antibodies, and if that antibody binds, you know what is on my patient's red blood cell. Not in the serum, but what antigen is present on the blood cell. So if it reacts when A antibody is added, we know A is on the red blood cell. In this case, the patient had B positive. So in that forward type, the B antibody caused a reaction, and we knew that B was present on the patient's red blood cell in addition to that RH factor. So what we're doing here is we're looking at A, B, and the RH factor status for these patients. So Rodick, you mentioned the reverse type. What exactly is that? So the reverse type is when you're trying to confirm your findings. So this time you take the patient's serum, and remember, listener, the difference between serum and plasma. So serum has the antibodies but no red blood cells in there. So you're taking the patient's serum and you're mixing that with test blood, which has known antigens in it. So basically in this test, as Vivek alluded to just moments ago, you're trying to see what antibodies are floating around in the patient's body, and that's what you're trying to detect. So you're taking cells that you know what is expressed on their surface, these are commercially available, and you're mixing it with the patient's serum. So if you add test A blood and there's agglutination with the patient's serum, then you know, for example, that they're making anti-A antibodies. And so remember, that means that their red blood cells should not have the A antigen on them, Otherwise, intuitively, you know now that the patient would be reacting to themselves. So let's go back to the patient that I use as an example for the forward typing. So in this case, if you take the patient's serum and you mix it with known A-type red blood cells, you should not get a reaction. But if you mixed it with B-type red blood cells, you will get a reaction. And so that's the concept behind the reverse type. Yeah. And so a mnemonic that I use to try and remember which is which, because I always found it really confusing when I was trying to learn how these tests work, is that forward and direct are kind of synonyms. You can say, oh, that, that was a very forward question, or that was a very direct question. They don't mean exactly the same thing, but they're similar. And so I always remember that, that the forward is the same as the direct 
and a globulin test. And, and so in a direct and globulin test, remember, you're using antibodies that are directed against the patient's red cells. So I use those two in combination, trying to remember exactly what's going on. But you're exactly right. You use the patient's serum in the reverse type because it's just the opposite of the forward type, as its name would suggest. All right. So in this case, we gave different examples. We don't trying not to confuse our listeners. We're giving you a lot of different types of examples. I gave you a B positive patient. Roenick was talking in, about an A type blood patient with his examples. So I'm going to go back to our sickle cell patient who had B positive. Their reverse type, remember what antibodies are in their serum. We know that they have B antigen present on their red blood cells. So that means they make anti-A antibody. So what ended up happening was there was a reaction to the test red blood cells with known A antigen. And so that caused agglutination and that confirmed, hey, the forward and the reverse type matched each other. This makes sense. We're pretty confident here that this patient has B positive blood. But there's another piece here. We have this antibody screen. What exactly is the antibody screen, Dan? So an antibody screen is another important component of taking that initial test to figure out how we're going to transfuse a patient. While the typing part, like we said, that figures out what their combination of major antigens in the RH group, just as an aside, we also test for that RH group because of the minor antigens, it, it seems to be the most immunogenic. So we consider it like almost as big a deal as the A, B, and H antigens. So you know, that's why we have the plus minus and we don't just say like RH. It's not quite a major antigen, but it, it's practically the same. And so the screen, that's looking for other antibodies that the patient might have generated to prior units of blood that they may have been exposed to. We do this on everyone, regardless of whether they have a known history of transfusion, because most of the time the patient's coming in, you're not going to want to rely on just being really confident of their history to say that they don't really need an antibody screen. You know, they probably haven't been exposed to blood. A reaction, we'll, we'll get into this a little later on uh, when we're talking about transfusion reactions in later episodes, but it's a really big deal if a patient gets blood that isn't compatible with their antibody milieu. And so the screen basically takes the patient's serum, which again is going to have all the antibodies their body is producing, and they take known type O blood, so blood that doesn't have any of those A and B antigens that could easily be reacted to by constitutively producing antibodies and just a sort of variety of different minor antigens expressed on this blood and sees, you know, is there some kind of reaction? Is there antibody coating these cells after the serum is mixed? If that screening test is positive, the next step is to go on and try and identify exactly what that antibody is bound to. The way they do that is actually kind of fun. It's this gigantic logic puzzle, essentially. They have a, a series of red cells that they have fully phenotyped that they know every antigen that's expressed on those cells. With this big group of cells that all express different antigens, they test the patient's serum against each of those, and they find out which of those known phenotype cells have antibody bound to them. And then based on the subset of their test cells that have antibody bound, they're able to kind of go across the columns and rows and figure out what the common antigen is, what antigens this patient's serum seems to be reacting to. That's important so that we can find compatible units of blood. We can find units of blood that don't have these antigens that that patient has formed antibodies to. It sounds complicated because it kind of is, but the gist of it is 
We screen to see does this patient have antibodies to minor antigens on the red cell? And if so, we try and figure out what they are so we can identify a safe unit of blood to give them. Yeah, that's so important, Dan. And one thing that I wanted to really drive home there is that the regular type is looking at these major antigens. A, B is the RH status plus or minus. When we're doing this antibody screen, we're looking at does my serum, does my plasma, plasma has all your antibodies, proteins, antigens you've been exposed to, all of that stuff, does it have antibodies against minor antigens that might be present in this other person's blood cell unit that I'm about to receive? And in this case, in our sickle cell person, this was positive. What we found was this patient's serum reacted to minor antigens, not the A antigen. We're not talking about the A, the B, or the plus antigen. We're talking about these minor antigens. So we have to make sure we don't give our patient one of these units with this minor antigen because then they'll hemolyze it. And that's a problem, right? You don't want to make an antibody against the blood cell and have your body destroy it. So that is the purpose of this antibody screen. The second important point I want to make here, if we are worried about a patient with warm autoimmune hemolytic anemia, this antibody screen will certainly be positive. What this is saying is that you have an antibody that's present against red blood cells. It is very uncommon for the antibody screen to be negative in a warm autoimmune hemolytic anemia. It's possible. But the most common thing you see is a positive antibody screen. That should really ring your bells. So just wanted to go over that. But now we have our patient here. We know they have sickle cell. They have B positive. They had this positive antibody screen. Now we still got to give them blood. So why did they have this positive antibody screen? And how do we give them blood? And what is cross-matching? So when you have a patient with a condition that requires numerous transfusions over the course of their life, if you're somebody who's going to be inclined to produce antibodies, then you know, you're definitely going to get enough transfusions to have that happen. So a lot of times we'll see patients with sickle cell disease or the thalassemias or other conditions that require transfusions developing antibodies. And it can make the process of finding a compatible unit of blood pretty tricky. Sometimes, you know, we may be calling up the blood bank and, and saying, hey, you know, I've got a patient here. We're going to need a unit of B positive, Kel negative, Duffy negative blood. And then that's going to be a kind of a long night for, for the transfusion medicine fellow or whoever it is that's taking that call in the blood bank. Once you do find a unit of blood, you kind of do have to go on and confirm that you have indeed found a compatible unit. And that's where the cross match comes in. So uh, Ronan, do you want to take us through that? Yeah, absolutely, Dan. And, and that's a great point. You know, essentially what you're alluding to is, you know, you've done all these tests, but at the end of the day, you still want to know, is the sample or is the unit of blood that you found going to work for this patient? And that is the fundamental concept behind the cross matching. So you're essentially taking the patient's blood and mixing it with the anticipated donor blood. And you're trying to see, is there a reaction? If there's no reaction, then there's a good chance that the patient will be fine and they're okay to proceed with receiving that transfusion. But if there is a reaction, it's better that you caught it in a test tube, for lack of a better term, than once it's already transfusion to the patient. So the cross-matching, that's what that's referring to, that process. And, you know, if you ever had any doubt about how serious it is to give a patient the wrong type of blood or the wrong unit of blood, just look at how many steps we go through as we're identifying. This is before the bag is even delivered. And of course, you know, if you've seen a transfusion being given, 
you know how the folks at the bedside, the nurses, and they have to have a witness with them and they read back the patient's MRN, the unit ID. There's a, a very strict process for making sure this blood is going to the right person. And, you know, to do this testing, to do cross-matching and, and all other sorts of tests on the unit, if you ever looked at a unit of blood, there are these little pieces of tubing that are kind of crimped and have small aliquots, essentially, of the blood unit in them. And those are what we use for a lot of this testing so that we don't actually have to spike the bag itself of PRVCs and we can just use these little attached aliquots. And this confused me for the longest time is what is cross-matching? And at some point we talk about platelet cross-matching and all this, but you're literally just mixing them together and seeing if something happens. It's not, you know, it's nothing crazy. The beauty is, and the reason why we do this antibody screen, you can imagine that's kind of labor intensive. You don't want your techs, your scientists sitting there just mixing blood all day. We have something called an electronic crossmatch where the computer instantaneously does this for us. Blood banking is amazing. And we think about doing that for patients with a negative antibody screen. We know their blood type. We know their RH status, their AB type, et cetera. So we can just do this electronic process where we know what blood to give them. And this manual process we reserve for those patients typically who have a positive antibody screen. So you're literally just mixing it together and seeing what happens, making sure there's no reaction. So pretty crazy. I had heard about the electronic cross-matching, but that makes a lot of sense. You know, guys, we kind of alluded to this with this patient, but there's a reason that we're doing both a forward and reverse typing, right? So I guess my question is, are there situations where you're going to see discrepancies between the forward and reverse typing? So I think the biggest thing to know is that with this, remember, forward type, as Dan said, direct, as I said, what directly what's there, we want those things to be concordant. We really want to check ourselves, right? We want to make sure that we have an internal control and validity process to make sure we are doing the right thing. And that's why we have this forward and reverse. There are situations where these might not match, one. A patient who are heavily transfused, like a massive transfusion protocol, if you could imagine, you're given a ton of blood, so that forward and reverse type can get all wonky because you have so many different units of blood in there. Critically ill patients can make all different sorts of antibodies. Things aren't functioning as normally as they would. So again, you could see some discrepancy there due to excessive antibody production and things like that in those patients. And lastly, seems odd, but kind of complicated. In stem cell transplant, you don't need to be ABO compatible. This is totally different than solid organ transplant. You don't have to be ABO compatible. And as your cells engraft, you can have this mismatch between the forward and the reverse type. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. And something else that you said before too kind of stuck out to me, and I, I think I'd like to elaborate on a little bit more. What about discrepancies in the antibody screen, right? So you mentioned in a patient with a hemolytic anemia, you are going to see essentially these antibodies, but are there other situations that you know we should be keeping in the back of our minds about when we may see discrepancies in the antibody screen? Yeah. So of course, the one that really sticks out, like you said, and, and like you said too, is autoimmune hemolytic anemia. Oftentimes, those conditions are being caused by a type of antibody that we call a panagglutinin because it agglutinates all the red cells that it's exposed to. It's just an antibody directed against some common red cell antigen, not one of these blood group antigens, major or minor, that we've been referring to thus far. Similar to the forward and reverse type discrepancy, 
if you have a patient who's heavily transfused, like massive transfusion protocol, gotten tons of trauma units of blood, which are type O units, they may have enough junk kicking around from those different units that they may have an, a, a positive antibody screen. In other cases similar to the critically ill patient, if you have uh, essentially a heavy concentration of a paraprotein, that can falsely be identified as an antibody on the antibody screen. Think about sort of seeing that Rouleau formation on a smear for a patient who has a high concentration of an M protein in their blood from myeloma. And then some of the drug-induced antibodies or um, some of those haptin-forming compounds out there, the penicillin-induced antibodies, autoantibodies, and ampicillin-induced autoantibodies, that sort of thing, those can also make the screen transiently positive whenever that drug is in the system. And sort of an edge case, we don't use this too, too often, sometimes used in the treatment of ITP. We can give people anti-D antigen. So Rogam, it's a drug that we can use in pregnancy sometimes. Also, like I said, for ITP, if that's in the bloodstream, that's going to react as an antibody. It will look like an anti-D antibody because that's what it is. Those are the big ones that I think about. Yeah, I think that's super huge. And the other one that I think is an important concept to understand is IVIG. Somebody who has received IVIG can have a positive antibody screen and for a super long time, probably until maybe, I don't know, six months ago, which is very bad, I really didn't know what IVIG was. And I think about it all the time and hypogammaglobulinemia related to CAR-T and things like that, and I probably should have known this, but just for everyone to know, IVIG is pooled human immunoglobulins. We are taking a bunch of donors and just throwing it into a pot and mixing it together and giving it to somebody. We are just giving random amounts of antibodies. So remember we said earlier in plasma, we have all the proteins, the antibodies, and any antigens that you've ever been exposed to. And so you could imagine that if you're pulling together a bunch of different people's plasmas with a lot of different types of antibodies, you could have a positive antibody screen in that case. And a theoretical risk and something that can happen with IVIG is actually hemolytic anemia. Why? Because you're giving people antibody. It could happen. It's not common, but it could happen because you're getting this pooled immunoglobulin source. The other thing I always wondered is why do some patients on rare occasions get an allergic reaction to this? Well, we have antigens in there, right? What if somebody was exposed to some peanut butter antigens and this patient had a peanut butter allergy or something like that, right? Dust, all of these things are floating around in the plasma. Your plasma has everything, your antigens, your antibodies, all of that stuff. And that's what IVIG is. So just wanted to throw that out there because I really didn't know what IVIG was for a long time. Yeah. And it's come up a couple of times in this episode and we'll talk about it a little bit more. We're talking about different blood products, but you know, we have whole blood. That's pretty clear what that is. We have plasma, which is all the proteins that are in circulation in the non-cellular component of blood. And then we have serum, which is plasma minus clotting factors. So uh, yeah, those things broken down, it's just uh, important to settle that out. All right, guys. Yeah, I thought that was a fantastic discussion. And, and I think it really does help me better understand, you know, this fundamental concept behind a type and screen, the cross-matching, why we see discrepancies. And as Dan pointed out, it highlights the importance and the severity of, you know, what could potentially happen to somebody if they get incompatible blood. So I thought this was great. Any final thoughts that you guys have? Yeah, you know, we'll get into all the details about what does happen if somebody gets the wrong blood in another episode. That's a lot to talk about. But for right now, just know that it, it needs to never happen. <laughs>
it should absolutely never happen to somebody. It is a life-threatening event. And if somebody seems to be having a hemolytic transfusion reaction, the thing that always stuck in my mind is our blood bank folks told us like, you don't like wait around to like, oh, can you have the, can you stop this infusion machine? Call the nurse in. No, you like grab the tubing. You like pinch the tube to stop the blood from flowing. It is that important. And so, you know, we'll talk about that later, but yeah, I agree. Great discussion today. Yeah. I loved what we talk about. And I guess my takeaway from all the rambling, hopefully you guys got a sense of what plasma is, got a sense of what a sugar antigen is. I guess what Dan was talking about, sugars and antigens or whatever, but I like to just think a, you know, antigens on the surface of the red, but I guess they're sugars or whatever, right, Dan? Sugars. Yeah, that's right. Sugars attached to glycoproteins, sugar chains. Glycoproteins, those things. But just to know, and, and really what we're trying to say here is you have major antigens, A, B, O, R, H. You have minor antigens, Kel, Duffy, Big E, Little E, all these different things. If you have a heavily transfused patient, like a sickle patient or a thalassemia patient, they may have a positive antibody screen because they've been exposed to so much. That's called alloimmunization. That is something that we can find. Cross-matching can be done electronically to say what's going to be compatible if that antibody screen is negative. And if the antibody screen is positive, you are manually mixing blood together in a test tube to make sure that there is no reaction when I'm going to give this blood to this patient. Perfect. That sounds great. All right, guys. Well, I think that wraps up another fantastic episode of this fellow on call. Until next time, we'll see you all later. See you later. Peace. Peace.